Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello and welcome back to part two with Jess Lamb, who has a healthy obsession with all things sparkling. So today we're going to be discussing the sparkling wines of the Australian island state Tasmania. Now to give you some statistics from Tasmania, there are currently 185 wine producers 230 individual vineyards and over 2,000 hectares under vine. There are seven wine growing areas of which about 50% are covered in the first two. So Tamar Valley is the biggest, followed by Coal River Valley. And I think Tasmania certainly deserves its own podcast again where we can talk more about the topography, the climate, the soils and the regions. And although many people are yet to taste Tasmanian wines or even know much about the wines produced here, fun fact, they're believed to have produced the first Australian wines. So according to Wine Tasmania, the country's oldest bottles were found in an abandoned Tasmanian cellar. So there you go. Now, this cool climate region produces great still wines, some incredible Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, along with... Sauvignon Blanc, Riesling and Pinot Gris. But of course, today we're focusing on the sparkling wines. So I'm excited for you to listen to our chat. I hope you enjoy it. Right, should we talk about sparkling wine from Tasmania? Because you wanted to yeah. talk about sparkling wine from Tasmania. Yeah, well actually I wanted to talk about Cap Classique, but somebody had stolen that. <laughs> <laughs> stop it the people from tasmania are going to be listening how dare you no actually do you know what i'm actually really glad that that was the case because it's actually been a real joy having a bit of a think about these wines okay good and i actually think the wines from tasmania are so almost undiscovered the average wine consumer mm-hmm. doesn't know about tasmania the tiniest amount of production of australian wine comes from tasmania but it's fine wine it is high-end wine like they don't do cheap wine they don't do bulk wine this is a region of real quality isn't it it really is and i think when you're looking at tasmania i think it's important to consider it in the context of australia as a whole and actually okay. australia does produce quite a lot of sparkling wine on the mm-hmm. mainland as well yeah yeah but it's mainly tank method charmant method fizz that's very very similar to prosecco and actually i won't go into all the detail of it because i think it's all very controversial and ongoing <laughs> but there has been quite an interesting conflict in recent years between winemakers in italy's prosecco region and ah. yeah, and winemakers in Australia, forgive the background noise, it's my dog. Um, <laughs> and winemakers in Australia who have been making Prosecco style wines from the same grape and labelling it as Australian Prosecco. Oh, I didn't know they were. I, how yeah. are they? You can't get away with that. How are they still well, doing that? It's it's a big ongoing legal thing, I think, because of course. 
in Italy, they very fiercely protect their growing regions and they have the DOC and DOCG classifications in mm-hmm. order to kind of protect those styles of wine. Yeah. And then you get to somewhere like Australia, which is much less closely regulated in terms of growing regions and what you can and can't put on labels and things like that. So you will find quite a lot of Australian-made Prosecco Oops. that makes Italian people very upset. Um, I know that there has been an ongoing legal thing about who gets the rights to call it Prosecco. I don't know if there's been any resolution to that. But oh, interesting. People are very upset. Um, okay, so quickly moving on from that then. <laughs> so that's really where the majority of, of sparkling wine production is focused on. And then we also mentioned earlier sparkling Shiraz, mm-hmm. which, again, is quite a niche category. It's certainly not for everybody. Um, quite often it's just carbonated still Shiraz. Um, some better examples sometimes will be made in a traditional method style, but... I think the high quality examples of sparkling Shiraz are relatively few and far between Yeah, yeah. at this point in time. Although having said that, I'm probably going to outrage loads of sparkling Shiraz lovers. So if you have good ones to recommend, please. (laughs) (laughs) I think I saw in Aldi recently, I think there was um, a sparkling Shiraz and I think it was like seven or eight pounds. So if anybody wants to then they can be pretty good value again. But again, yeah. yes, it won't be, it'll be tank method. It won't be uh, all carbonated, in fact. It won't mm-hmm. be traditional method at that no, price right. point. <laughs> but there is also a certain amount of traditional method wine made on the mainland, but the kind of characteristic environment that you need to make really, really good traditional method wines is a cool climate. So relatively low summertime temperatures, you know, cool winters, all that kind of thing and obviously in Australia there are pockets of cool climate growing regions Mm. mainly focused around high altitude areas so the higher you go the cooler it gets and the easier it is to create those really high acid grapes but because Tasmania is so much further south and it's more on a latitude with New Zealand yes the climate is naturally cooler and so therefore it's much easier to grow the grapes in the style that's needed for traditional method which is you know very high in acid they don't need to be super super ripe they just need to be you know fresh refreshing good quality to translate into these lovely wines which is why Tasmania has become such a hot spot for really really very high quality traditional method um actually I have a really fun fact that I just discovered oh, yes. when I was doing a bit of research yes. so I'm going to forgive me I hope this is okay I'm just going to read to you okay from the encyclopedia of champagne and sparkling wine okay um so the origins of Tasmanian wine so it says here that the first known Australian sparkling wine was produced in Tasmania in 1826 mm-hmm. It was also the first ever reported commercial wine production in Tasmania. The wine was produced by Mr. Broughton, a native of Stamford, Lincolnshire, ah. which is where I ha- which is where I live. Fun and fact. Where- I know, coincidence. Yes. And where I've lived for about the last ten years. I love it. And so Mr. Broughton of Stamford, Lincolnshire, was sentenced to go to Australia for life for charges of embezzlement and theft. <laughs> As you do. And, yeah, and he was shipped down there in 1819. Mm-hmm. 
and then a few years later rocked up in Tasmania making this wine that was made in imitation of champagne. Seems like he was really punished. Seems like he spent yeah. the rest of his life regretting all of his uh, <laughs> crimes. Having, having a terrible time. And it also says that several gentlemen, such as Dr. Sherwin and Mr. Bryant, have tasted the wine and pronounced it little inferior to champagne. Well, there you have so, it. Back in the 1800s, people. There you go. Thank you, Mr. Broughton of Stamford, Lincolnshire, for bringing us all this lovely, lovely sparkling wine that we now enjoy today. I love that. Thank you for your fun fact. And I love how you're just really... <laughs> I love ex- a fun fact. And you're just excited because this guy came from your town. It's brilliant. I know. Mm. No, that's well. nice. Oh, we love it. No, but there you go. The Brits getting involved. So um, I like the connection. Mm-hmm. And that's actually a really interesting point. So there is often a lot of outside development when you find a emerging wine region Mm -hmm. that someone suddenly realizes is really, really good for sparkling wine. And you see it all over the world. And I think there is a certain process for every emerging sparkling wine region in that some of the big champagne houses start to buy up land. Yeah. Um, So for example, you have Domaine Chandon of Moet and Chandon fame Mm -hmm. and over the course of the last 50 years, they started buying land everywhere from California to Tasmania to Australia. And even there is a sparkling wine Shandong production place in India as well. Yes. And of course, you can also look at the UK and English sparkling. And there are several champagne producers very quietly planting their own vineyards in different areas. There's a lot of champagne influence there. Mm-hmm. And that's because these houses that have all these centuries of champagne making traditional method experience recognize the potential of these regions to make really really high quality traditional method wine so it tends to be that where people like Shandong go development follows and I think that Tasmania was a little bit behind the curve in that it didn't really start to get going until about the 1980s yep and at that point you saw Chandon come down and set up. There's also a really, really excellent producer who you can find in Waitrose called Jans. Yes. Which uh-huh. is spelled J-N-S-Z. Uh-huh. And they're owned by Louis Roderer. I didn't know and they were... Uh, mm, yeah. Okay. Or they were they were founded by Louis Roderer. I mean, I don't know if they've changed hands yeah. since uh-huh. they were founded, but they were they were certainly set up by, by Roderer. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And so, again, you see that there's all the champagne houses going on in, in the background, and, and it's grown from there, really. And as you said, Tasmania is a tiny, tiny percentage of Australia's wine production. It accounts for about 0.5% yeah. of Australia's total output. <laughs> but within that, there are some really, really big hitters. And the wine that we've chosen to talk about today, or the producer that we've chosen to talk about today, is the House of Arras. Yeah, why have we chosen this? Yay. Well, you chose it, actually, and I love these guys, so I was very happy to go along with tasting these wines. But you specifically said, I think we should really talk about this winery. So why did you pick Arras? Because I think they are just the quintessential Tasmanian wine producer. And oh. I think that they are a brand that are slightly more well-known than others. And as you said, quite rightly, the recognition of these brands and these producers, especially in markets like the UK, is still really, really low. Yes. And actually, that is in some part because 
they tend to keep all the best wines for themselves. <laughs> How dare they? It's a very similar situation in New Zealand, actually. When I visited, I discovered all these amazing producers making incredible traditional method, but you just can't get it in the UK mm-hmm. because they don't they don't want us to have it. And, <laughs> you know, fair enough. <laughs> so I feel like we'll talk a little bit more about Tasmania and we'll talk about mm-hmm. Arras, but I feel like we need to pour ourselves a glass. So, right, yes. I think we need to start with probably the premium cuvee, right? So I think we, yeah. we'll do premium cuvee, then do we want to do... Blanc de Blanc and then Elite? The three, yes, I think that is an excellent suggestion. Okay, so I haven't opened mine yet. I'm just doing it now. I want to get yeah, a bit me of a... too. There we go. That was I a really see. small little pop, little wasn't poof. it? <laughs> a little I've... poof. Oh my God. Oh my, what? <laughs> Mine's just sprayed all over my office. Oh my God, that is hilarious. <laughs> oh, well, quite, I'm sorry, everyone. Quite clearly, we know who is the sophisticated one out of the two of us. I apologize for that. It's just, Jess, you're letting us down. You're letting us down. I'm dripping. Oh, that's so funny. That's so, I hope you didn't waste too much of it. Um, oh. Well, some, some of it is up the wall, but I think that's okay. Oh, it's fine. At least it's not sparkling Shiraz, right? <laughs> no, that's very true. Oh, bless. Right. So one thing that we know, we were talking about this, weren't we? With the House of Arras, they're very big on lees aging and time yeah. having, after that second fermentation, the wine in contact with the lees for a decent amount of time. So 30 months. Um, yeah. And I think lees aging is something that is really, really important to traditional method. But I think it's something that it can often be discussed quite flippantly without really going into what that mm. process actually means. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially that the yeasts that are used to convert the the sugar in the wine yep. into alcohol yep. then remain in the bottle because the hallmark of traditional method is that all the fermentation, the second fermentation happens in the same bottle in which mm-hmm. the wine is ultimately then sold. Mm-hmm. So all the yeast stays in that bottle and it dies and it breaks down. So what you're tasting when you taste the effects of lees aging is actually the flavour of the dead yeast cells. Yum! Yay! (laughs) Which sounds horrible, but it's actually a really incredible process. I've just Um, tasted it and I can confirm it tastes delicious. Yeah, it does. Um, (laughs) Oh, it does smell absolutely lovely. It's really bright, isn't it? It's really... What I really like about this wine is that it's got this lively fresh fruit, but already straight away, you can taste this kind of slightly honeyed brioche note, mm-hmm. which of course is, is classic, but I feel like some sparkling wines, traditional method, are much more about just fruit. But I feel like, mm-hmm. I guess, 30 months on the lees, you are getting much more, even a slight, I get a, a slight nuttiness as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. kind of a hazelnut, almondy thing going mm-hmm. on. And, mm-hmm. and I think it's really important when we're talking about time on leaves to just mention that in comparison an average non-vintage champagne will spend 12 months on the lees so that's the minimum time that they're allowed to do that for and you know there's premium wines that will spend you know up to even something like 13 or 14 years Mm -hmm. um, aging on the lees although it's debatable I think the research has kind of shown that it has an effect for about 10 years Ah, okay. Then, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I think 
it's generally understood that it's got about a 10 year window of imparting extra flavor and then i think after that what's already there just develops rather than any mm. new new flavor coming in mm. but so when you consider that you know if you're buying you know a bollinger or a verve Clicquot or anything off the shelves in waitrose that will probably have been aged for a year in comparison to this wine which has had nearly triple that as standard it's really soft and mm-hmm. vibrant on the palate isn't it like there's mm-hmm. a really like even for me i get lovely yellow fruits yeah. um but it the the finish is almost like a little bit sherbety as well mm-hmm. i find this quite delicate this is a delicate style of sparkling wine which still has lovely otolytic characters but yet it's actually really restrained still Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel chunky it doesn't feel rich it doesn't feel opulent or heavy I feel like it what do you think yeah it's very precise and I think again that's a hallmark of the cool climate growing conditions that because it never gets too warm the grapes retain very high levels of acidity Mm which means that the wines don't start to feel overly cloying or overly fat because that very precise acidity kind of lifts it all and makes sure makes sure it's refreshing. And I think with this one you can really you can really tell on the palate that it's got this lovely quite full creamy texture mm. but it's lifted by that kick of acidity at the end that just dances off the tip of your tongue and it just lifts it yeah yeah this is 1995 it's still cheaper than your average champagne mm-hmm. everyone and you can get it from wine republic mm. Mm. that pour just disappeared unfortunately very <laughs> i warn everybody it's very easy to drink so as well just for everyone to know this is more pinot noir dominated so it's 49 percent mm-hmm. pinot 44 percent chardonnay and seven percent mounier but Gorgeous, really, really fresh. And I would love, again, seafood, ceviches, really lovely fresh fish, but not any thick fish or like richer fish. Very flaky white fish would be Mm. fantastic with this. I would also say, I mean, this isn't a pairing that I would have myself because I hate goat's cheese, but this with a bit of goat's cheese, absolutely delicious. Yeah, because you know, it's got that kind of, that lift and that really mm-hmm. soft, almost, and I, for me, that kind of sherbet-y style at the end. And so absolutely kind of to go with that saltiness of goat's cheese, perfect. Yep. Happy, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think with traditional method pairing a lot of the time, like I love all the kind of combinations of, you know, light fresh fish and ceviche and things like that. but. I think a thing that I really love to do is because these wines are so refreshing and they have high acidity and they've got a lovely lift, they work really well with slightly fatter foods because that acidity just takes the edge off anything that's a bit greasy or a bit richer. And so there's a real classic pairing, which is sparkling wine or champagne and fish and chips. Everyone should know by now, every time I talk about champagne, English sparkling wine, whatever it is, I'm like, Fresh and chips. Just done. Let's, you know, yeah. there, there is no argument here. So I'm like, I'm glad you've backed me up on that one. Yeah. Or even uh, if you're going really horrible and you're getting like a dirty kebab or... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I would much prefer the fish and chips, but I suppose it's true. It will cut <laughs> through fat, won't it? Absolutely. Yeah. That's so funny. And by the way, I should probably confirm, I said I called it the premium cuvee, but it's actually A by Adas premium mm-hmm. cuvee and this is a non-vintage yeah. so you've everybody you've got the full 
name of this wine because you need to search it and you need to try it it's delicious yeah so we we're gonna let's go on to the the blanc de blanc now and tr- can you try mm-hmm. not to pour it all over your walls i already opened this one. So oh, that's so are. so hilarious <laughs> i'm so really glad well i'm it. i'm let's see if i can actually be sophisticated i think it's worth pointing out as well actually i'll give you a little fun fact did you know woohoo so there you go Ooh. jess that's how it's done um <laughs> did you know that <laughs> tasmania has apparently the cleanest clearest air on the planet I didn't know that, but it does not surprise me at all. And I think that, again, whether this is just me convincing myself of that, but it's this super cold climate. This is a and mm-hmm. maritime as well, everyone. Keep in mind, you know, the, the vineyards tend to be planted by the coast. So this is a cool mm-hmm. maritime climate. It used to be loads of apple trees growing there. And when I think of like, you know, where, where do apple trees grow? England, you know, cold, horrible <laughs> climates. <laughs> but, you know, so you've got this really, really cold climate. You've got this really clear air. And I feel like the wines from Tasmania, they are, they're crisp. They're more... Mm-hmm. linear and pure and again as I'm I don't know whether that's accurate to say for every wine but I you know all the sparkling wines I've had from there there's just there's a vibrancy and a liveliness to them right yeah I think that's very true and I think it's also interesting that where Tasmania southern Australia New Zealand sit um there the ozone layer is much thinner mm-hmm and that also has a really significant effect on grape growing because that means that more UV light is permeating through down into down into the growing region. And so what UV does is help the grapes ripen really fully, but because the temperature is still cool because of those cold currents and because of the southerly latitude, yeah. that balance of ripening and cool climate, which helps the grapes retain high levels of acidity, creates exactly what you've described which is this beautiful balance where it's got the lovely it's and i mean i find these wines very precise very poised you know really really balanced but the fruit i think if you take english sparkling wine as a comparison sometimes those wines are so acidic and so fresh fruited that they can be very tart Mm mm-hmm because it's just real high punchy acidity. It's very, very, very fresh, kind of lip puckering, lemon, lime, very citrusy aromas. But because of the extra help that Tasmania has from the UV, the fruit is more developed. And so you move from really sharp citrus to, you know, a little bit more kind of a lemon curdy, lemon peel, golden apple, Mm -hmm. peachy kind of thing, which I just absolutely love i think it works beautifully well it's interesting because whilst you've been talking i've been sticking my nose in the blanc de blanc and this Mm -hmm. is so completely different to Mm -hmm. the premium cuvee now everyone when you have a blanc de blanc it means white of white it's a chardonnay Mm -hmm. most likely unless it's from a region that doesn't grow chardonnay so this is a chardonnay 100 percent and generally you get much crisper styles. You get, again, even more linear, very direct, yeah. which actually I do. I get a real lemony note, but yeah, it's, um, very pure. for me, it's like um, a bit of sea spray. It's actually, I feel like I'm by the coast yeah. and a bit of even like sourdough. So instead of it being like brioche, like sweet or digestive biscuit, sweeter bready notes, the sourdough note I'm getting, it's because of that salty saline nature something really intriguing on this wine yeah it's delicious and i mean i think blanc de blanc has the tendency it can be a little bit straight down the line sometimes mm-hmm, because as mm-hmm. you said it is 100 white grapes 
high acid, very, very pure, and it can just be a little bit one-dimensional. But with something like this, as you've said, you know, we know we've got the long leaves aging, so that's giving it texture, it's giving yeah. it this lovely nutty i'm getting quite a lot of kind of short crust pastry mm, i'm getting a bit know. of croissant but here you yeah. know potato Actually, potato <laughs> the one thing that i always really pick up in very good blanc de blanc is this kind of apple tart tatan oh yes yes so you know when it's fresh out of the oven and you've got that crumbly buttery pastry you've got the slightly caramelized apples you've got the slight oh just absolutely beautiful and for me, this really, really reminds me of that. I think it's lovely. Oh, I mean, I loved the other one before, but for me, my personal preference already, just the intensity. This is sharper apple fruit and, and yes. more saline. So yeah. I feel, yeah, I'm just really, yeah, this this is £22.95. So it's not a big step up from the one before and from Wine Republic again. So it's the same retailer. So you can get both, everybody. <laughs> So that's always useful. You can get both bottles and you can let us know whether you prefer one over the other. Again, you, you could do fish and chips, but this is a bit more linear and tarty. Uh, Tartier? Is tartier mm. a word? <laughs> it is that. It has to be because I've just said it. What, what would you want to pair mm. with this? What do you think? What comes to mind? I mean, I think for me, this is a real aperitif wine. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's an evening kicker offer, you know, when you've got people over and you've got nibbles out you know you've got your palm of ham and i don't know ham and pineapple on sticks or whatever it is, <laughs> whatever it is that i haven't had that since i was five years old <laughs> you know did your mum ever used to make the hedgehog of course she made the hedgehog yeah. any well i know i don't want to say any good mother but um certainly in england that was definitely a thing yeah. right yeah that's so yeah funny. but i yeah i think any kind of canapé volavant type thing and I also think I'm a real shellfish lover and I think Mm. things like oysters like longestine yeah oh my god you know or like a little bit like a crab pate or a little bit of chili crab with some fresh bread oh Oh, okay you're doing you're doing wonderful things but yeah because of this salinity that I'm getting I mean if we we can't all afford oysters pretty much every day sadly but um it would definitely be a, a perfect pairing wouldn't it Mm-hmm. Oh. absolutely and I mean I know oysters is a hard to come by thing so you know prawns anything like that exactly and also the good news is we put salt on things so just put one extra little just grind loads of salt just, well, <laughs> stop it you and your bad tips do not put loads of salt on food that's just <laughs> irresponsible irresponsible you know that just that sums up my style of cooking as well like again more chaos more <laughs> just gonna put to be fair, I, I agree with you. I kind of do that. Now, I think it's worth mentioning as well. These wines are fantastic. These are looked after by a winemaker called Ed Carr. And he is yeah. known as Australia's most award-winning sparkling winemaker. I think 34 years in the business. And th- I mean, this, this winery, it, they claim, I, I'm assuming it's still the same. They claim to have the most awards, again, for for yeah. sparkling wines 96 trophies i've written this down i'm not i don't remember <laughs> and 250 gold medals so for anyone who's wondering is it just me and you that love it no no it's not a few other people love it too yeah. and actually that's very interesting because going back to you know brits abroad ed ed carl was born on the isle of Wight. he's english i didn't and... know that you are so full of uh, look at us brits doing our thing in tasmania <laughs> I know. get anywhere um 
but yeah, he made his way down to Australia and started making wine there. And as you said, he's won every award going. He has had very, he himself has had various lifetime achievement awards for the contribution he's made to the Australian industry. Yeah, and he also, I think it's also worth mentioning. So these this wine is looked after by an Australian brand called Accolade. Yeah, who make all kinds of things. They look after Hardee's, they look after Banrock Station, you know, loads yeah. of really memorable brands. But they also have another property on Tasmania which does lovely sparkling wines called Bay of Fires. Yes. And Ed also makes the wine for Bay of Fires. So if you ever come across that, it's a great one. It's a great one to try. And I think that one of the greatest, well, depending on how you feel about Krug, but one I love greatest... Krug. Yeah, so Aras is often described by, you know, sparkling wine lovers and experts and people in the know as the Krug of Australian sparkling wine. There you go, everyone. I mean, I haven't tasted this. Decanter magazine um, in 2020 picked the EJ Carr Late Disgorge mm-hmm. 2004, so from the Aras brand, as the best sparkling wine of the world yeah, that surprises me, not at all. So, yes, yeah, so we need to get our hands on the EJ Carr Late Disgorge 2004. Yeah, that would be a lovely one to try, although I imagine extremely, extremely rare. Um, it is, but what is not as rare is the last one. And I, actually, I've, honestly, mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed that Blanc de Blanc. Um, right, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, have you opened up the other one in advance, or are you going to try? Yeah, the Brut Elite, there's going to be no more. So, well, after your, your disaster. So I've got to open this one up. This one is from easily for everyone to get hold of in the UK. Majestic, thirty-four ninety-nine. But again, there you go, Jessie. Look, like oh, it's just foaming away. Okay, no one likes this show off. <laughs> three out of three. To be honest, I've done. Don't worry, Jess. I've done other podcasts and literally poured them all over myself, and I've been sat <laughs> the rest of the podcast like literally with a wet bum. So anyway, yeah. Um, I've actually just looked up as well and my ceiling is dripping. Oh, that's fabulous. You know what? If you're going to do it, you know, do it properly. So so this is the Brute Elite. Obviously, Mm -hmm. all of them, we haven't really talked about sugar levels. They are are all brute and you can definitely tell they are, they're dry and there's a crispness to them. So this one as well, I said it's from Majestic at $34.99, but let's face it, nobody buys one bottle from Majestic. If you're buying six, as you should... That's your mm-hmm. tip. Please make sure you buy six. Um, it's twenty nine ninety nine. So this is twenty nine ninety nine. That's the real price, right? So mm-hmm. oh, let's moving things around so I can taste it. Let's give this this give this bad boy this uh, a little go. So so this Ooh. is just wow this is delicious. So this has a real smokiness. It's so different. It's yeah. like walnut skins. Mm. It's oh my god, and it is actually like toast but the actual burnt part but not in a bad way yeah or, or literally by a fireplace the embers mm-hmm. yes it is it's just that like that warmth that smokiness i have to say that the defining feature almost of the blanc de blanc was that kind of for me sourdoughy sea spray premium cuvee mm-hmm. was just beautiful lovely brioche honey good yellow fruits here wow i don't i think it's undeniable that that anyone could not pick up the smoky vibe here. Mm-hmm. This is definitely the most generous. Oof. I think if I was given this in a blind tasting, I think I would perhaps mistake it for Cat Classique. Okay. Because it's because it's got a real unctuousness. Mm-hmm. 
about mm. it. But I kind of associate it's got very, very bright fruit, real lovely peachy pear, golden apple, beautiful thing going mm. on. It's a little bit honey. Wow, yes. A little bit of ginger and nutmeg, spicy. And it's got everything. It has, hasn't it? For me as well, like you mentioned the apples. But there's almost like some crunchy red apple skins, like not green. It's yeah. riper without being rich in any way. Because again, it's actually pretty linear. I feel like it's the biggest, but it's not huge at all. Mm-hmm. This sees four years of aging, doesn't it? So we had four years of aging on the lees. Yeah. It sees malolactic fermentation. I don't know if the other two do, but actually from feeling the weight in my mouth, you you know you, you can taste this you can feel the cr- the extra yeah it's got oh, yeah exactly the softer creaminess um it's more pinot noir dominant well pinot dominated it's 57 percent pinot noir there's eight mm-hmm. percent pinot meunier so just a little bit thrown in and then 36 percent chardonnay so just in case anybody wants to be wine geeky on the grape varieties this is actually quite unique it's, it is lovely yeah i just this is the kind of wine that i would describe to people as banging <laughs> It's just, it's really, really complex. It's yeah. got a real depth of character. It's got everything. It's got smokiness. It's got nuttiness. It's got fruitiness. It's got laziness. It's got some soft mallow, but it's still lo- lovely and acidic. It's got a bit of brightness. You know, name a thing that you would like in a wine. Funny thing is, this is better quality, but I actually still have a love affair, I think, with the Blanc de Blanc, just because oh, I... Oh, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> But is that just because of the way I was talking about the other one? Is that why? <laughs> yeah. But but this is unique. This is really, really interesting. This, I would pair, it would be so good with something like a mackerel, like warm mackerel. Mm. Because I think because of the smokiness, you want to put it again, and it, great, obviously, acidity, and it's still really pristine, it's clean, it's direct. I think it would cut through anything oily. So get a really oily fish, but something like mackerel with the fact that it has that kind of smoky vibe going on. I agree. And I think actually one thing that it's really worth talking about in terms of wine pairing is that I think traditionally people really shy away from pairing sparkling with food a lot of the time. And they should not. Which you absolutely should not. And, you know, I've had some really lovely dinners over the last couple of years, which have been purely champagne paired from mm-hmm. starters to main to mm-hmm. desserts. And I just think, I think they're fabulous. And I think this is the kind of wine that wine people would describe as vinous. Mm. If you know what I mean by yes. that, it's got yep. that real. <sighs> when I think about the word Venice in terms of sparkling wine, it puts me in mind of a wine that was made first and foremost as a really, really great still wine. Yep. That just happens to have bubbles. Mm. Yeah. It's got that complexity, yeah. it's got that interest. And I think it makes them very gastronomic. It makes them very food friendly. And because this has got so much complexity. It does. It's got a lovely richness and and texture. You could have this with with anything. I think, you know, like a lovely roast chicken, any kind of fish. Even, you know, like lighter, lighter meat. Like we're in, it's, it's late November now. So we're in the midst of game season. I think things like partridge, hare. Yes. Absolutely. And just oh and gosh. taking a whole load of root vegetables and then putting oh, them in the yeah. oven so they're roasted. Yeah. And actually we forgot to say 
There's a reason why this is extra smoky. It's not just for the extra aging on the lees. It's 7% of the wine sees a little bit of first and second use Mm -hmm. oak barrels. It's taken a step up and it's taking sparkling to a very Mm -hmm. interesting place. It's such phenomenal value. At $29.99, I promise you everyone, (laughs) you can take this, do it. In fact, do it. Take this, go to Majestic and then go and get a Moet and Chandon. Yeah, you'll pay more. You depending on the deal, it's going to either be the exact same price than Moet, or it might be a little bit more. Literally, take the two and compare, and you will change your mind for standard champagne forever. And you'll be looking all over the world for finding the best traditional method. It it will change you. It this is phenomenal yeah I completely endorse that method yes yes we do and and I think Tasmania at the end of the day is something that most people probably wouldn't think of and I think it'd be really interesting to see where Tasmanian wine goes you know the majority I think like two-thirds of the island are planted to Pinot Noir and Chardonnay that is their focus so you can find still wines as well from those two varieties but you know they're making fabulous sparkling wine there's a very good producer making good cabernet sauvignon so they do have some other reds but it is like your pinot blanc your reasoning your pinot gris alongside it but it's just a a really interesting island and certainly in the uk there are a few producers but you'll find them in the independent wine merchants more often but you can get tasmanian wine and you should probably find out 40% of it will come from the Tamar Valley up in the north it's growing more and more and actually I suppose as well we should point out you're never going to find anything in the west of Tasmania because it's like a rainforest and I think it's one of the wettest it's funny we haven't even touched on it it's like it's funny in the west it's like one of the wettest areas of Australia completely but then Mm -hmm. over in the the southeast is so obviously the eastern side anyway Mm -hmm. but the southeast is Hobart and it's like after Adelaide is the driest place in Australia well it's actually that's really interesting because it's almost mirrored across Tasmania and New Zealand South Island Mm. because they both have these these mountain ranges this topography in the west that blocks all that sea influence mm-hmm, coming in, mm-hmm. which is really important as two small islands in the midst, like down there, I'm not gonna distinguish myself with my knowledge of where all the seas are at this moment. <laughs> but you've got you've got this Pacific, you've got the Indian Ocean in there somewhere, like there's and then the Atlantic on the other like there's a lot of sea. There's ocean. Is what I'm saying. There's, there's water. Water, water there's everywhere, n- but not a drop to drink. There is many waters yes. around yes. around the earth. And so it's actually really, really key for these places that they have that protection from that sea influence. Because if you didn't have those areas of mountains and hills and stuff that were stopping all these tropical storms and what have you mm-hmm. coming in, you, it would just be too wet to grow grapes. You know, and, end of. And that's, again, why... You know, Central Otago in New Zealand is particularly special yes. because it's re- exactly the same as the Hobart area in kind of southeast Tasmania. Really protected, really dry. They benefit from all that UV. Yeah, and and it's fantastic. So you know, we have we have a lot to thank the hills and mountains of Tasmania for. Yeah. because without them, the wine world would be very different and probably not quite as good place absolutely and also as well probably just to finish up as well the winds also help control mm-hmm. they've got a lot of winds going on there oh, yeah. um so wind is not always a bad thing human beings no um, yeah. lots of winds and um they <laughs> oh you got my joke okay good I oh jess you're brilliant oh thank you for that i appreciate that <laughs> Sorry. 
I only like um, people who appreciate toilet humor. They're my they're my real friends. <laughs> right? um, but yeah, they can oh, they can dear. going back to real wind um, that controls the yield. So we like I think a huge thumbs up to Tasmania, right? A huge. Mm-hmm thumbs up to House yeah. of Arras like these 100%. yeah I think you did a great job choosing these sparkling wines and I mean it gen- you. you know genuinely these are divine aren't they um yeah the pricing is great people need to get on it yeah honestly I mean you know in my career as an independent wine writer I do make it a point that I don't endorse things that I wouldn't drink myself I never talk about a wine that I wouldn't sit and drink and never has that been more relevant than with these. I think they're all fabulous. There is also, we haven't tasted it today, and I've only ever had a couple in my life, but they have some absolutely extraordinarily good rosés. Mm, very few. Oh right? my gosh, that if you, I've very actually got a, vin- I've got a vintage Arras rosé down under the stairs oh. that I'm saving for a special occasion, yeah. which I look at wistfully every now and again. Awesome. Um, but really, really beautiful because Pinot Noir does so well in Tasmania and it, they have these lovely, this lovely red fruited, beautiful thing going on. But I mean, I would be over the moon with, with any of these wines at any time. I've enjoyed them and I actually just feel a little bit emotional now. I just feel like both of us have got a bit too enthusiastic, but I'm feeling it, right? Yes. It's good. Yeah. I mean, that's probably also because we've tasted three wines before 11.45 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> it happens our palate is most attuned it, we are appreciating them the most Absolutely. i know i've got to go and do my big shop now so this probably means that i'm going to make a lot of really extravagant purchases uh, it happens it <laughs> happens make sure you get something to pair perfectly with these delicious wines jess no, absolutely thank you for bringing your knowledge onto the podcast thank you for recommending eras and it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you and we'll of course once i end this i will we'll find some more time to talk again thank you it's been lovely thank you for listening to me run on you are (laughs) fabulous you are absolutely fabulous oh shucks oh okay i'll stop (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) have a beautiful day you too bye bye I hope that's got you excited about this amazing island just 150 miles southeast off the coast of Australia. Now you know it's all about quality here, not necessarily quantity, and and that is in a large part due to its isolation. But most definitely, it can compete with champagne. So what are you waiting for? Do grab a bottle when you get the chance. Now I'll leave you with a wine quote from Madame de Pompadour, a member of the French court dating back to the 1700s. She was also the chief mistress of King Louis XV. And so allow me to use a champagne quote again, because of course back in the 1700s there wasn't Tasmanian wine, but as it's made the same way, let's use the term interchangeably, okay? (laughs) Now, she was known to have said... Champagne is the only wine that leaves a woman beautiful after drinking it. And quite clearly, traditional method sparkling wine does just that. She wasn't just a mistress, but the chief mistress. And now I understand why Jess is so beautiful inside and out. It's all those bubbles. So grab yourself a glass of Tasmanian wine and start 2022 as you mean to continue. 
That is all for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please don't forget to leave a comment. And especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, because that makes the podcast far more discoverable. Do like it if you can. Share with all your wine-loving friends and subscribe if you haven't already. Now, next week, I've got an awesome episode. I had an incredible chat with... I won't tell you who, a fantastic winemaker from South Africa, and we're going to be talking Cabernet Sauvignon and the differences there and all over the world. So tune in next week, and until then, cheers to you.